The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer of the podcast. If you have a story you'd like to share with us on the podcast, please reach out. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. Today's episode is episode number 290. Just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and also give us a good review because then people, when they Google help for addiction, our podcast will come up and sometimes people just need to know that they're not alone. Also check out our YouTube channel. It's the same name, the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, and subscribe and give our videos a thumbs up. And if you would like to be notified when we have a new podcast up, ring the bell. Today's episode is an interview with an author. Her name is Beverly Thompson. Beverly is a writer, researcher, and speaker with a focus on psychiatric medication, including antidepressants, benzodiazepines, and ADHD drugs. Their history, how the drug, drugs work, adverse effects, dependence, withdrawal, and development of patient support services. She has written a book that we're going to talk about called Antidepressed, a breakthrough examination of epidemic antidepressant harm and dependence. I think that this is particularly relevant in today's society because antidepressants are all over the media and they are advertised everywhere. And she's got a very good perspective on this dangerous type of medication. So without further ado, let's talk to Beverly Thompson. Beverly Thompson, thank you so much for being willing to talk to us today. I'm super excited to talk about your book. Thank you for inviting me to talk with you. Absolutely. But give, give me your background. Where did you grow up? And, you know, what kind of led you down the path of even writing this book? Okay. Um, well, I live in the Highlands of Scotland, um, but I grew up in Yorkshire in England. Um, and um, I was going to say, I, I don't think that's a Scottish accent. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's very much a hybrid accent nowadays because I've, I've lived in so many places and I've always moved north all the time. Every time I move, it's further north. And my friends kind of joke that I'm going to end up in Iceland, which I probably <laughs> will eventually. So, um, yeah, I am a writer and a researcher. Um, as you said, I, I focus on psychiatric medication, so particularly antidepressants and benzodiazepines. Um, and um, I was a counsellor in primary and secondary schools. And I started to notice that lots was changing in terms of, you know, how we, we were starting to judge children very much for the situations that are coping with the situations that they were found, finding themselves in. So whether it be school problems, uh, home problems, you know, we, we, we were starting to ask questions such as, you know, or, or make statements such as, I think there's something wrong with him or, or her, or I think this child has ADHD. And that kind of sparked something in me. And I thought, I really need to find out what's going on here. Um, so, and I remember somebody um, once said to me that when you realize something's wrong, you have a responsibility to tell others. And I actually realized really, really quickly and really early when I started doing this, this work, 
that many things are very wrong when it comes to psychiatric drugs. And the drugs that we were starting to, to give our children in particular. Um, and I started to read, I think I've read thousands and listened to thousands and thousands of patient experiences of people taking psychiatric drugs. And I, I, I kind of started to realize that the patient experiences painted a very different picture to the ones that the pharmaceutical industry and um, the media portrayed when it came to, in particular, in particular antidepressants. So I suppose the more patient um, and medi medical, the more patient experiences I read, you know, the more I realized that the voices of these people who were suffering sometimes incredible harm actually needed to be heard. Right. I'm going to take you back just a little bit. Thank you for all of that. So you were a counselor in school. Like, I guess in this country, we call them school resource officers, maybe. Yeah. But what training led you, led you to that? Were you a psychology major? What was your degree? Um, uh, actually, my, my, my two degrees are in, are in languages and marketing. Okay. Uh, and then I did studied open university psychology. Okay. So, okay, so you, how long ago was this that you were counseling in schools that you started probably, to notice this? Probably about 12 years ago. And I think we're obviously a little bit behind the situation that you're in in the States. Yeah. So it was probably, yeah, around 12, 12 to 15 years ago, I would say, when I first started to realize that things were changing. Yes, yes. And, and you know, Joni, this wasn't just... Um, this wasn't just the teachers talking like this. It was parents talking like this as well. Yep. So, you know, it was, it, was, it was the whole societal change that was happening. And, yep. and this got me intrigued. And I think, you know, we, we're in a society today where parent, a lot of parents, both parents have to work. So they're not at home. And, you know, children are children. And, you know, there's... Uh, I've heard the phrase, you know, childhood is not a mental disorder. And that's really the point that, you know, I have a grandson, he can bounce off the walls, but he doesn't have a mental disorder. He's a five-year-old boy. And yeah. I raised boys and boys are supposed to climb on things and jump off of things and, you know, do what they do. And I, I think that with parents getting busier, Sometimes they don't know how to deal with this, and a a pill can become a quick fix, but it's not. And you you can talk more about that. It's not a quick fix. Not a quick fix, and and you know the, the problem is that it's become so culturally acceptable, isn't it, to turn to a pill before you ask the real questions about what is going on in somebody's life. Yep. And most of the time, as I. Uh, often say, if we really look at what's going on in somebody's life, we can work out why they're feeling depressed or anxious or, you know, not coping with what's going on. So yep. going down the, the, you know, the biochemical route of treating somebody's uh, disease um, with a pill, a life-changing pill often, is really something that we don't need to do. I agree. And I have said this before on the podcast because I, I watched um, a documentary called Generation um, Rx. Yeah. And 
the problem, I think, with some of these psychiatric drugs is that you might take an antidepressant, Beverly, and it's fine, and it doesn't affect you. Maybe you get a little happier. But I might take an antidepressant and go off and get a gun and shoot someone. And I know that that sounds radical, but if if you watch this film, you know, there's, there's a, a father who never had a history of violence and was put on antidepressants, and that's exactly what he did. So you you start messing around with the chemistry in the brain and it can end up with something that's not so good. So I'm sorry, I cut you off, but but talk more about what you found as you started researching. So um, I suppose that the things that I started to, to, to find were that, as you have just said there, no one actually can predict how an antidepressant will affect you. You know, uh, and for many people, what, what happens when they take an antidepressant is instead of their life getting better, their life actually starts to get seriously worse than it was before. Um, so that this, you know, we talk about um, antidepressants curing a chemical imbalance, and there's been a lot in the press about that recently. But, but actually what really happens is these drugs actually create a chemical imbalance. So instead of changing our biochemistry, sort of instead of curing um, uh, our chemical imbalance, they actually create a chemical imbalance, which for many people um, can have significant life changes. Now here is an incredible success. Roger Smith was kicked out of high school, was homeless, a drug addict, arrested multiple times, and yet this same man overcame incredible adversity and became the CEO of American Income Life Insurance, National Income Life Insurance, and Liberty National Life Insurance Companies. His journey is told in his new memoir, The Most Unlikely Leader. Roger is an example that no matter how low you go in life, you can always turn things around and become anything you set your mind to. If you are stuck in any real-life challenge, this book is a fantastic must-read for you. The Most Unlikely Leader, available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Yep. And I think, too, as you said, you know, like when we were talking about children and let's just take ADHD medicine for an example, oftentimes if children are eating cereals that are low in protein, very high in carbohydrates and high in sugar, they'll bounce off the walls. I, you know, I when my boys were young, we would have birthday parties and okay, I fill them full of cake and then send them home and oh well. You know, and it's a it's a funny example, but you know that there can be nutritional reasons for some of these problems that people are confronting, and those don't get looked at. They don't get looked at because, as I say, you know, we've been culturally programmed now to believe that if we're not happy or satisfied in life, then it's a it's a biological issue, and we go and ask for drugs to to cure us. And you know, let, let's not uh, beat around the bush here. These 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 are not medicines. They they are not. These are powerful psychiatric, psychotropic, like um, brain changing drugs. Yep. Um, 
so to call them medicine um, is is really um, is really a, a wrong thing to do. Well, especially since I I think, um, and I've seen um, surveys, if you will, that were done on psychiatrists, you know, asking, you know, how do you test, you know, are there physical tests for you know mental disorders or mental diseases? And the answer is no. No, there are no, and that, and that's one thing that you know we really have to think about is that if we have any other condition, for example, if we have you know high blood pressure, then we go to uh, a, a, a doctor and we have a test to see if we actually have this condition. Right. But when it comes to a, a, a you know a mental health condition, and I hate the term mental health, but if, when it comes to our mental health conditions. There are no brain scans, there are no blood tests, there, there is nothing to prove that, um, that, that, that we, one, need medication and, and, and two, that we have something biologically wrong with us. It's completely subjective. Completely subjective. And based on the person who they're talking to. And I think sometimes, while I believe that a lot of the psychologists, psychiatrists, whoever are, you know, have the person's best interest in mind, they don't know what to do. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that is the the problem is that the options there are very limited, and I think especially in the states, you know, you have a real shortage of psychologists, of psychiatrists, of, um, and also it's expensive, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. expensive mm -hmm. to get help that you really, really need. So. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think I think ultimately, you know, we can we can conclude by saying that, you know, I suppose paradoxically that the, the drugs that are supposed to help us and cure us, we're taking long term, and actually the exposure is leaving millions of people around the world with medical problems, which to which there are no there are no solutions. What which are is some of those medical problems, Beverly? Well. The one thing that I have to say is that, you know, we really don't know the long-term effects of these drugs. So if you think that Prozac first arrived in, in 1988, I think it was, in the US. Sounds right. Right. So that's, you know, 30 years, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, and many people, there are many people, many millions of people who have taken an SSRI antidepressant for that length of time. Now, if you think about it, most research that is done when it comes to these drugs is pharmaceutical funded. So mm -hmm. it's not independent research. So they not do- Not what you would call balanced research. No, 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 no. there's no balance whatsoever. Um, and um, what happens is they do trials, you know, and these trials generally last six months, a couple of years if we're lucky. Um, so, for all these people who have been on these drugs for 30 years, nobody knows, you know, what, what, what really um, ha, ha, is happening to, that, to their body being exposed to these drugs for such lengthy periods. Um, the only thing that I will say is, and, and this is why I was really keen to put testimony, patient testimonies in the book, is because, you know, it's it's only from anecdotal evidence that we really know what is happening to people. It's not from medical research. It's not from academic research. 
it's only because of patient experiences. And, you know, here's my controversial statement. You know, we have these, um, it's probably the same in the UK, but when we have one of these mass shootings here in the US, every single one of those shooters are on psychiatric medications. Every single one. And then the argument becomes, oh, they don't take it properly. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, I agree they don't take it properly. And this is this is the thing that, you know, I talk about quite a lot in the book. When you take these drugs and you achieve a new sense of balance, which is, which is exactly as, as I was speaking about earlier, so your brain chemistry has been changed. So, so you will reach a new balanced state, okay? So, for example, if you are uh, an 18-year-old, for example, somebody who might potentially be a school shooter, if they miss a few doses of their medication or if their medication is increased, then that balance becomes disrupted, okay? So their brain, which might have been, you know, in a, in a balanced state, suddenly becomes a very different brain. And this is something that we need more research to. We're asking the wrong questions because what we really, really need to ask is, instead of asking, was this person mentally ill? We need to ask, was this person drugged? Yes. And that's what I meant by the whole Russian, my Russian roulette comment. And yes. I say this, you know, over and over again, and it's similar with street drugs that we talk about. But I think, you know, as you said, these are like psychotic medications. And the other thing that, and I, I spoke years and years ago to a psychiatrist and she said, you know, these particular psychiatric medications are really the only family of drugs where the side effect causes what you're taking the drug for in the first place. Like the antidepressants cause suicidal tendencies and the anti-anxiety medicines can cause anxiety attacks, you know, and it's just, it, it makes no sense, Beverly. Just, I just, I, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, I, I, I've written a few articles actually about that, precisely about that, the paradoxical effects of these drugs. And many people take them because, you know, they're depressed, uh, others take them because they're anxious. And we find that actually they become more depressed. Makes them worse. They become more anxious. Um, and then, and then Joni, what happens is they go back to their prescriber and guess what? And get more. They get more. They get more. They do, their, doses, their dosage is up. They are switched to another. And that balance again that I talk about, whoa. Yep. We see it more and more. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. 
Sometimes. The hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. And Beverly, before I forget, if um, you could email me the links to those articles or some way that people can read those articles, I definitely want to include that in the notes for this podcast because people have to get educated on these medications. They are not a quick fix. And, you know, so often I think people think, oh, because a doctor prescribed it, it's okay. You know, it was similar with Oxycontin. Doctors prescribed it. It was okay. No, these are, these are dangerous medications and you need to be fully and completely informed. And I think that's part of your argument that there is no full informed consent on these, on these drugs. I have to say that, you know, I never say people shouldn't take these drugs. Understood. I, I never say that because it's everybody's right, isn't it? If they want to. But I do say that everybody should be informed to the best of their ability. You know, it's like we live in the age of the consumer. We do three million Google searches a day. We, you know, we want to know about something before we buy it. But we kind of live in this in this strange world where we still think, just as you just said, just because a doctor prescribes it, doctor knows best, and therefore I don't need to do that. But, you know, we need to educate ourselves about these drugs. We really do. And educate ourselves to the best of our ability. You know, it's a complicated subject and it's mm -hmm. a complex issue. But yep. I think, you know, we really, and especially when it comes to medicating our children. Yes. I remember one time, Beverly, I, I have always been against the ADHD medications that I, I Googled something about it. I can't remember. And I found this um, poor woman who had a, I think he was 16 years old. He was on three different medications because what parents may not realize, and you know this, so I know I'm preaching to the choir, ADHD medicines for young children are um, uh, not depressant, but they slow you down. But then when the child reaches puberty, that same medication now becomes a stimulant. So now you have to take another medication to counteract the ADHD medication. And then, and, and that's the other thing is the side, some of the side effects of these drugs, you have to take more and more and more and more drugs to handle the side effects. And when do you go... Yep. Nope. No more. Yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, one of the big issues that we have, especially with elderly people at the moment, is polypharmacy. You know, I think the average. Um, I, I don't. I, I hope I'm right when I say this. I think the average person over 65 in the UK can take up to 10, 10 different medications, and I think that must be similar statistics in the states as well. Yeah. We are drugging our elderly. We really are, um, and this needs to stop. They're just one of the populations that are 
you know, I write in the book, you know, special concerns about certain populations, one being children, one being the elderly, and one being, you know, uh, armed forces and veterans, who again are people who are being drugged unnecessarily for the situations that they find themselves in. Yep. I remember I read that in your book. I was going to ask you about that, about certain segments of the population really being targeted with some of these medications. Yeah, and it is targeting. I mean, it is strategic targeting by... With children, it's so easy, isn't it? Because generally, parents have bought into the notion that if there's something wrong with you and you're not coping with life, then you take a drug. And they've passed it on to their children. And I have to say, you know, this is a moral issue. What right do we have to change our child's chem brain chemistry? What right does any parent have to do that? None. In my opinion, none. And, and don't get me wrong, there are people, just as I say, you know, I, I don't say people should never take these drugs. There are people who are in very you know, difficulty and drugs do have a place. Some drugs do have a place, but not not with children, not with children. There are there are many options we can try before we medicate our children. When you think about it, all these people who I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. Um, all these people who have been on SSRI antidepressants for you know thirty years, we we are we have um, or a generation of children who are growing up drug dependent. So if they're put on drugs at a young age, and some of them are put on drugs at five years old, six years old, by the time they get adult, they're already dependent on these drugs. They've already reached that state where their brain is balanced differently. If they are not educa educated about these drugs and what they have what has happened to them and their system. Do you know what happens and why suicide rates are going up in universities? These 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 kids who are medicated go off to university, okay? They're not informed properly about the drugs. They think I don't need to take that anymore. And they stop taking them. Wow. Wow. Beverly, what do you see as the biggest antidepressant being prescribed today? Um, I think probably um, citalopram. Say that again, sorry? Citalopram, probably. I wonder what that is in the U.S. I haven't heard of that one. Sorry? I said I wonder. Oh. Oh, sorry. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I'm Just not curious. sure. Just yeah, I'm not sure. But... Do um, it's not important. I mean, they're all like antidepressants. Would you include anti-anxiety medicines in these? I mean, I would, but it's your your book, your subject. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I don't. Um, my, my I specialize in antidepressants, um, okay. and then my, my next book is benzodiazepines. So okay. they're my two sort of key areas. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think one one thing that I would like to say before I forget is. <laughs> that I'm not an addiction expert Understood. at all. And, but it is interesting. It, it really needs to be spoken about in on this podcast because 
most people who become dependent on antidepressants have a real issue with being called an addict. Yep. Because they've, you know, taken the drug as prescribed by a professional, they have a real um, issue with, with the term addict. So, you know, I work with dependents and, and I think there are a lot of differences and a lot of commonalities when it comes to addiction and dependence. I don't think it's very, it's purely simple to say, this is addiction and this is dependence. Um, and, you know, we've also said, you know, these drugs, just like illicit drugs, they cross the blood-brain barrier, they disrupt, disrupt the balance of the chemicals in the brain. And, you know, we need to think about, you know, and talk more about, I think, and that's why I was quite excited to, to be with you today, because I do think we need to, people really need to understand more about the difference between addiction independent. I agree. What are some of the, like you, you've done a lot of patient interviews. Um, what have they talked about in terms of long-term negative effects of taking these? Well, I've got a bit from my book actually that, that I can just very briefly read to you because this is a really, really good study that was done. Um, so this is a 2018 study and it said asking people directly reveals far higher rates of adverse responses and long-term responses than previously understood especially in the emotional psychological and interpersonal domains so from this study people were asked about their adverse effects and you you'll be really shocked when you hear the figures for these um so I doubt it <laughs> yeah probably not <laughs> And preaching to the converted. Um, so feeling emotionally numb, 70.6%. Uh, feeling foggy or detached, 70%. Uh, not feeling like myself, 66%. Sexual dif difficulties, 66%. Um, reduction in positive feelings, which is what we were talking about, the paradoxical effects. So reduction in positive feelings, 60%. Um, suicidality, 50.3%. So half the people half. who take antidepressants had, half. yeah? Yeah, half. And those, those percentages are horrifying, in my opinion. Who wants to go through life numb? Who wants to go through life, you know, unhappy? Who wants to go through life having suicidal tendencies? I mean... Why would you go there? I, I'm just saying that to the audience, not you. I'm just saying those are those are horrifying percentages. The name of your book and how they can find it. My book is called Antidepressed, and it can be found on Amazon or on all the major book sites. Um, it was launched in released in January, um, and I'm really hoping Antidepressed will. I wanted to write a book in a really accessible form. So, you know, it, it's written so that we can all understand the complexities of these drugs. I didn't write it in medical language. I didn't write it in academic language. I just wrote it as, as simply as, as I could. It contains many patient testimonies, um, which are real life, you know, experiences of, of, of 
really heartbreaking stories, you know, including, you know, suicide, including murder. I think I have the story from the film in my book, the experience from the film in my book, actually. Wow. Um, and I wanted, I have to say that there is a little um, warning before the testimonies, because for some people, they can be triggering. And I think people, you know, have to be really careful that they're in the right, the correct frame of mind when they start to read them. Right. But let me just say, when I don't know about you, the listener, but when I go to Amazon, let's say, and I want to buy a drill, what I do is I sort by customer review. And if you're going to take an antidepressant, which is a very dangerous brain-altering medication, you might want to look at some of these testimonials in the same way that you look at customer reviews, because all the pharmaceutical company is going to tell you and all the doctor is going to tell you is how this might benefit you, but you need to know how it might harm you. And I think that I think that, you know, if you're going to do research, Beverly talked about doing research on these drugs. Well, her book is a good way to start. And the book, once again, is anti-depressed. And you can get it on Amazon. And I would say if you are thinking about taking antidepressants or if you've been taking them, I think you should read it. Even if it scares you, I think you should read it. There are, and let me also just say that coming off of something like an antidepressant, if you decide you don't want to take it anymore, you, you cannot just cold turkey. That is part of the danger of these drugs. You know, you can become a heroin addict and you can cold turkey off of heroin. Um, but you need, you, you need to see a doctor if you are on antidepressants and you decide you don't want to take it anymore. Yeah, and I, I speak about that an awful lot in the book because one of the major problems that we have is that, you know, when people have been taking these drugs for long periods of time and they do choose that to, to, to reduce their medication, there's nowhere for them to get help. Now, in the States, Joni, you have, and I, you know, I, you shouldn't really be proud, not you personally, but <laughs> you shouldn't be proud of this. The, hundreds of, of state-of-the-art clinics that are very, very quick to relieve people of thousands and thousands of dollars to get them off um, psychotropic medication. It can't be done in a few weeks. No. It can't be done. And I urge people not to waste their money trying to do that in what are essentially, you know, illicit drug and alcohol clinics, rehab centers. Um, we need, desperately need um, more services to help people. But there again, you know, we could talk about this for hours, but mm -hmm. there, there again, you know, the problem is that we know so little still about the best way to withdraw from these drugs. Yep. We really do. And we desperately need more research because people are being terribly harmed when they try to reduce their medication. Yep. Exactly. Well, Beverly, thank you for talking to us today. Thank you for writing this book. You know, you have delved into an area that it's pretty scary. And I think that to really do a good job on this subject, which I believe you have, you. you have to have a confront of a certain amount of evil because there is some of that behind the prescribing of these drugs. And similar to what we've talked about with Purdue Pharma and OxyContin, 
It's the same thing with Eli Lilly and Prozac and the companies that manufacture and distribute these drugs without really caring about anything but the bottom line. And you've confronted that, and that's huge. And I thank you for writing this book. And once again, I urge the listeners, find Beverly's book, Beverly Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-O-N, and it's anti-depressed. Thank you so much, Beverly. I, I, I look forward to your next book on benzodiazepines, and we'll talk about that when you do that one. Thank you so much for talking with me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for listening today. If you are considering taking any of these antidepressants, or if you have a loved one who is taking them, I strongly suggest you get her book, Antidepressed, by Beverly Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-O-N. It's available on Amazon. You need to educate yourself. While these drugs may help in the very short term, you definitely do not want to stay on these drugs long term. And that's me, who is not a doctor. So personally, I wouldn't take them at all, but I'm not judging you if you do. However, you do need to get educated. You are responsible for your own health, physical, mental, and spiritual. Do not depend on someone else to handle it for you. Thank you for listening. We will be back again with another interview next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.